Hello, friends, and welcome to episode five of the Limelight Podcast. In this episode, Dr. Sloan and I are going to give you guys a brief update on new information that we've learned about COVID-19, and we are also going to answer some of your Lime questions. So stay tuned. This is going to be a little bit of a shorter episode today to give you guys a break from those super long ones. We've got a lot of good information here for you, so stay tuned. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Limelight Podcast. I'm Maddie. We have Dr. Sloan here today, and um, we're really excited that we can come to you guys uh, in in Technicolor. Yes. So we're going to try this out. We're excited. How are you, Dr. Sloan? I'm great, Maddie. I'm great. End of the day here. I'm in my think space. Many patients will know this area here where I think. Um, if I can think anymore at six o'clock, I will give it a gander. You're giving off a very solid like Dr. Picard vibe right now. Oh, yeah. In your thinking <laughs> space. <laughs> Whatever it is. <laughs> Um, well, I, um, you know, we promised people that we would keep them updated on all of the coronavirus stuff. So we're going to talk about that a little bit, but then also I have some questions for us to answer about Lyme and SOT stuff too. So this is going to be a little dual episode. Um, and the first thing a lot of people want to know is, are you still taking appointments? What is different at your office? Um, and what should people expect? How are you at your office handling, um, everything going on with coronavirus? Well, I think like everybody, we're being really careful. Um, fortunately for us, um, our patients are from all over the country. So doing phone appointments here for us is kind of normal, but I still have to have a full staff for phone calls, scheduling, returning the, the answers for the phone calls. If, um, and definitely we're still accepting our patients that are previous patients, we have our IV schedule still the same. Um, for patients who are patients that we have pre-screened, that we've um, deemed okay to come into the office, anyone coming into the office wears a mask. Um, two reasons. We have a high exposure here, so we want to protect anybody who comes in. Mm -hmm. And they wear a mask so they can protect themselves and us. Right. Um, we are, of course, accepting calls. Um, we, we need to keep things moving along right now. So we're still doing our IVs for SOTs. So patients that have that scheduled, um, make sure that they call in so we know where they're coming from. Uh, certain patients, we can actually send a R95 mask. We have very limited source awesome. to help that way. When you walk up to the door, there is multiple signs to say stop, don't walk in. We have hand sanitizer outside. The doors are locked on our side. And um, it's as careful as we can be, but still know that we got into this patient care to treat patients. So we have to treat patients. Um, yeah, if, if patients need supplements, they call in and we have them outside or we hand them through the door. Um, we, we keep it fairly copacetic. We feel comfortable in this office because we have IV therapies. We have vitamin C. We have the plaque, the 
hydroxychloroquine. Chloroquine. <laughs> we have the chloroquine and the azithromycin and the zinc that um, the whole world has finally caught attention to the FDA approved it, I think, yesterday. Cool. That's yes. awesome. We are definitely open for business, so please call. Um, now may be a good time to sneak into the schedule a little bit quicker than before. Oh, that's good news. Um, cool. Well, I think uh, piggybacking on that, so that's what you guys are doing, which is awesome. Um, and, you know, I think um, we talked about this a little bit yesterday. It's The virus isn't like, a, you know, a magical beast that's just going to, like, infect you. If you're taking all the necessary precautions, you're really eliminating most of your risk as long as you're wearing the correct protective things and sanitizing everything. And I know you've got some cool systems in your office, like ozone, for example, that cleanse the air and are clearing particles. Um, yes. So, you know, people can just kind of relax and knowing that, you know, you've really got it under control. Um, yeah. Piggybacking on that, what are some things that people should do at home um, or, you know, especially people with Lyme or, you know, your patients that you're treating that most of them have compromised immune systems. Um, you know, are you, I know the answer to this, but, you know, we've got the CDC saying you don't need to wear a mask. Um, mm -hmm. What are some things that you should be doing, like maybe wearing a mask to protect yourself at home if you're going out to the grocery store, stuff like that? Sure. Please wear a mask and wear gloves. Be conscious of everywhere you put your hands don't touch your face the mask is going to irritate you and it's going to feel awkward especially if you have a beard but you can't touch your face i can touch my face finally at the end of the day today but we're about to scrub our skin off here at the office being careful all day with patients but um yes it's best that you wear a mask it you may be walking around as a carrier and your droplets will get caught in the mask instead of catching someone else, uh, the corona, the COVID-19. Um, so it's safe for everyone, very safe for everyone. Um, at the grocery store, Stacy was there yesterday and it was interesting that people would not go down the same aisle that you were going down. Huh. Not a bad idea. People stay back at the checkout line. Mm-hmm. Um, carry a hand sanitizer with you. You really do want to be able to take your mask off and your gloves off when you get into a safe place because you can catch the coronavirus on that surface of that mask. Right. And it could stay there for two days. Right. So if you can reuse it, reuse it. If you can't, when you take it off, put it somewhere like in a bag in the car, uh, let it sit. If you can blast it with ozone, uh, put it in the dryer, um, take your gloves off, use hand sanitizer. Still at that point, be careful touching your face until you can really wash off. And yeah. that's, that's about the best we can do right now. I think, um, you know, what I saw, I saw the other day, um, I, I went to the grocery store and I have a very stringent, uh, you know, mask, goggles, gloves, protocol, and I consider the car to not be a clean space. 
um, because who knows what's in the car. I haven't cleaned up my car. So when I leave my house, I put everything on, I drive to the store like that. I go to the store and then I still leave everything on until I can get home and decontaminate. And I, the other day we were, Matt and I were leaving the store and there was like a, you know, kind of elderly woman in the car and she had a mask, but she like grabbed it with her hand and stuck it on top of her head. And I was like, no, cause you still have the germs from the store. So then what's the point of wearing the mask in the store? <laughs> No, <laughs> we, need, we need germ education day. I yeah. guess it's yeah. Wear a mask. Well, it's a little bit more involved than that. Right. So may, maybe our video can help a little bit. Um, we have to get home. We actually take our clothes off before we go inside. Um, we have privacy. So, you know, we have to go in, we wash down, we get in the shower. And then we, we just redress and just kind of relax finally. Yeah. That's kind of how, you know, it makes it, Matt and I laugh because it's so much work to go to the store now because, you know, you got all your, you got to gear up and then we come home and, you know, got to be very aware of like taking everything off. I try, you know, when I'm like taking off my clothes and stuff, we immediately like throw them in the wash. Um, and like not to breathe or not to like shake your clothes a bunch because you don't want the particles to go flying in the air. Yeah. So it's just a, a very deep level of thinking of, okay, if I was a tiny microscopic virus particle, where would my, where would I move and what could I attach to? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. I think a lot of people are very careful of what they know how to be careful with, but there's about 10 other ways they can catch the virus that they're not even thinking about. Right. I have a friend in Hawaii, her, da her daughter is very quarantined in her home in Hawaii, and she accepted a box from FedEx, and she right. got sick. Ah, oh, wow. She's doing well, but she got sick, and that has to be the only, I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a doctor, so they're very careful. Wow. Also, when you travel, only one person should go out. It shouldn't be two of you. Um, it's best if one person's going to get contaminated one person can decontaminate instead of two people going out two people having twice the possibility then both of you having to decontaminate or maybe even after you decontaminate you affect each other so it's it's right. best to be careful with just one person at a time i think georgia's going into mandatory quarantine tomorrow so things around here should get kind of quiet um yeah we'll, we'll still be here though you guys are essential uh, apparently <laughs> you're essential to me that's all that really matters i make most, the rules around here most of my friends they had to completely close their offices dental offices our practices there you know they can't get into people's faces but you know Ugh. it's all right wow. it, it will go away it will it will i have you know speaking of it going away that's a great transition into the thing that i wanted to ask you next um so you mentioned hydroxychloroquine and ZPAC, azithromycin. Um, if anybody's been watching the um, Trump's addresses or looking at any sort of news, um, you know that that is an exciting treatment protocol that they've been testing and it's been proving to be effective. Um, do you wanna talk a little bit about that? And, and sure. you know, you've mentioned zinc as well um, as things that help the virus not harm you as much. Correct. So hydroxychloroquine, which is um, also chloroquine, 
is called Plaquenil. It has been on the market for 20 something years. Um, I have always known it and, and through school we've known it. Plaquenil is, a, is an immunosuppressant drug, specifically works for rheumatoid arthritis and lupus. It works for autoimmune diseases because part of the component of that drug is that it's an immunosuppressive drug. So in the recent months, it's kind of come up in the Lyme disease world as a treatment for Babesia because it's also an anti-malarial drug. Um, we studied it that way, but it was a really passing phase because there are better drugs to treat malaria than chloroquines. And we were using other medications for it. So I see uh, some of our very knowledgeable Lyme doctors around the country giving uh, chloroquines for, for Babesia. And I was kind of, I kind of laughed at that for a long time. And I wasn't going to do that anyway, but why, why, the FDA approved it, was it yesterday or maybe the I day think before? It was, yeah, it was, it was the, within this week, some, sometime this week, early this week. Yeah, because it's, it's a safe drug and it's been around a long time. We know that the side effects are so minimal with it that we're going to have a better reward than a failure with that drug. There's right. a a medical doctor in, in, in New York that's treated over 800 cases. Um, he was kind of the test clinic for whether to use the drug. 800 cases uh, successfully. I think one person may have died and maybe two went to the hospital and that's it. Wow. 800. Um, that's I read very, a study. Um, Googleable. <laughs> um, the study that I saw today was that. Um, I think it was a study in China and it was every all of the patients that were doing their standard of care plus the chloroquine did not have to go on a ventilator and it was only like a hundred subjects so it was not a huge study um, yeah, that's a big deal that's a really big yeah. deal because then you know it, I think the uh it once you have to be put on a ventilator your chances of recovery go down significantly and every day that you're on that ventilator and a lot of these patients that end up having to be ventilated are ventilated for like two to three weeks and yeah. it, you're really looking at not a great uh outcome at that point so that's a big deal that with this drug they were able to not have to ventilate any patients out of that test group yes it's uh i'm glad they approved it um we have it available for us even our compounding pharmacies that work really well with us and we can use things off-label we're ha they're making us use this on label. Mm -hmm. So even, even the companies that are typically pretty easy for me to use, we cannot prescribe it unless we have a positive or a very closely related positive. Um, so the, we, the test that we have in the office is a DNA test. It's the one that the CDC refused to use because they wanted to use their own antibody test. Um, initially, it did not work. That's why it took so long, like nine days. They had to redo it. They're getting the government funds with it, but the test that we have and the test, that's, it's a DNA PCR, nasal swab. We get it back the next day or the next, usually in the next day. So it's been, um, if, if, if we can test a patient, if they've been exposed and we can test a patient and maybe they're not sick yet, but they think they may be sick or they start to sniffle, 
we can go ahead and get them on the meds and even possibly the IV vitamin C therapies and keep them very, very, very safe. And as my ER physician said, vitamin C IV is now mainstream. Yeah, which is really cool. I'm excited to see that. Yes, yes. In some ways, the FDA approved it as a drug last year. It's never been approved as a drug. Is that good or bad? I'm not sure. I don't want the FDA telling me how to use vitamin C on my cancer patients. But right. anyway. are they going to try to then maybe patent patent vitamin C therapy and somehow make millions of dollars off of it? Or they'll tell us how we can, they'll tell the pharmacies how we can only prescribe it to our patients. You know, it's just one of those things we'll have to wait and see. But, um, but the, the, the chloroquine drug is a unique drug, and we're not really sure how it works other than the fact that it may change the acidity on the surface of the cell, viruses, also Lyme disease, Borrelia. Borrelia, an infection of Borrelia burgdorferi is a bacteria, but it's virulent in the body. And viruses have to go into our cells and replicate with our DNA to to have um, to take and to to shed their DNA and keep us sick, and then that makes us sneeze and drool, and we share it to the next person. And then, you know, viruses are only genetic material; they're not even live. Right, they have life from inside of us. So it's interesting how that how that works. I watched. Um, there's a there's a really good video on a YouTube channel called MedCram. And uh, it was a good, it was almost like a Khan Academy video, but explaining how this virus works. And it basically hijacks your cell and it has the RNA in it. And then it makes um, the, oh, what is the polymerase reactions thing, whatever that makes that, that thing, science science words. Yes. It makes more of the RNA and then it is able to make millions of more virus cells out of the mechanisms of your cells. Yes. Does that sound familiar? It does. That's what what we're, that's why we use antisense SOT because for Borrelia and other viruses, we can inhibit that replication RNA cycle or the translocation genes by, by down downgrading that RNA um, transcriptase for each one of these cells. Um, but there's not one for coronavirus. Why can't we do an SOT for coronavirus? Why isn't that the magic bullet for coronavirus? So there are over a hundred normal coronaviruses that causes the common cold. It's actually the main cause of the common cold and it changes so much. By the time we would get an antisense SOT for a patient, it'd be gone already. And for this virus, it's novel, um, meaning it's new to our environment, to, to human species. So we don't know all the replication sequences for it. And by the time they do, it'll be gone. Right. I think I saw um, at this point, there's like 40 strains already of this coronavirus, of oh. this novel coronavirus so it's mutated you know it viruses just mutate 
really fast. So there's already, um, and I'm sure too, with the virulence of this, um, the more people it infects, the more opportunities it has for mutation. Correct. So I would assume that uh, infectability is related to how quickly it can mutate. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. That's, that's one way that the chloroquines work is it stops it from entering the cell, so it stops it from replicating with our DNA, and it, it, it lives a very, very quick life cycle if it goes into the human and it can't replicate. So maybe it's just a few days or three days, four days, um, very minimal sicknesses. Um, the two patients that we've tested positive here, they were young, but they did vitamin C IV. They didn't do the drugs, but they were fine in three days. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I do wonder um, why are you doing the, the Z pack with the chloroquine? The zithromycin is in case the secondary infections happen. Okay. It Does that just, prevent sepsis? Um, very possibly, yes. yes. Okay. It, it, it prevents the bacteria from setting up. And so the viruses, just like the flu, make a lot of mucus because our immune system is working. It's the mucus that sets up in the sinuses and in the chest that causes the bacterial infection. So it's a secondary infection. So the azithromycin is great for mycoplasmas, which cause this. So if you have high mycos and you get a coronavirus, you're gonna be more prone to this infection. But yes, it stops secondary infections, and it just we just do it right away, just in case, and it's a good piggyback. And azithromycin okay. um, is very tolerable for most everybody. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm sure everybody's had a Z pack in their lives, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at least a few times. <laughs> um, what was the next thing I was going to ask you? Oh, um, I think we touched on this briefly in our last podcast, but I wanted to ask you. Um, again, to discuss it a little bit more, when, if you feel sick, um, you know, we know we need to flatten the curve. We know we need to stay away from going to the doctor or going to the hospital as much as possible. And that needs to be a last resort to not overwhelm the system and also to not expose ourselves to yes. more contagions. Um, if we are not feeling well, at what point do we need to go to the hospital? This is a very, very simple answer. Um, well, <laughs> nothing's that simple for me. Um, if you have severe trouble breathing, then you go to the hospital. If you are, if you feel like you have an elephant on your chest, if your fingers are blue, if your lips are blue, go to the hospital. If you have trouble getting aroused, go to the hospital. Um, if you have new confusion that's different than your normal brain fog, um, you go to the hospital. Um, if you have a pulse oximeter, which is that little thing you stick on your finger to check your oxygen rates, that's the best way to know. So if you have a pulse ox that's 93 or below, um, sitting, and if you walk and it drops below 93, it's time to go to the hospital. We have had some deaths of some fairly healthy moms and dads sitting at home trying to fight it out and feel tight in their chest, but they think they can get through it. So um, they, they, you know, they missed the opportunity and they could have been treated properly. That's a very, very small amount. Um, the better question is like when not to go to the hospital. Yeah. Don't go to the hospital 
And, and this is from my ER medical director. Um, they're going to turn you away if you go there because you think you need to get tested. They're not going to test you. Um, they're going to test patients with all the symptoms, especially the fevers, um, and they have a low oxygen rate. So they're going to test you then. Um, don't go if you have the sniffles. It's allergy season. Um, if you um, if you feel like you just want to go and 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 it, it's not quite time yet, they're going to turn you away. Yeah. So don't spend it. And, and then you have greater chance to get sick if you're going to the hospital. If you have mucus drainage for a week because of allergens, and then you get a low grade fever, don't go to the hospital. It's it's allergies and it's a sinus infection. Right. Um, the best thing to know if it's a virus is if, like you and I, we're feeling pretty good. If I start to develop a high fever tonight, like I've gotten the flu, which um, when a virus goes into your body, your body should respond with a high fever and chills. Um, you have a virus. Take note. Um, follow your normal protocols. If you're our patients, then you know to take your vitamin C, your zinc, um, silver proteins. Um, uh, don't take elderberry if you're sick. It may increase the cytokine storm. Um, we have some other things like colostrum to yeah. decrease the it decreases the IL-6s and stops the cytokine storm. And then um, um, you said beta glucans last time also. Beta glucans definitely on the list for support agents. Yes, yes. And I think um, this is the. I forget what I'm. I'm bad at the fancy words, but it's the it's a positive charged something RNA virus. So does that mean that silver does work? Yes. So silver protein um, is an ion that has a positive charge, but that doesn't necessarily mean. So the the virus itself may have a certain charge it's a one little molecule in the virus that allows it to continue its respiration mm. that should have a charge so like inside the flu there is a ion that keeps so viruses don't breathe oxygen they have their own respiration system so the colloidal silver silver proteins um there's different kinds of silver they have the ability to scoop in and grab that electron and it basically just shuts them shuts them down because they can't they can't respirate cool that's awesome. Um, what was the next thing I was going to ask you? Um, I think that was all of the coronavirus related questions that I had for you today. Um, of course, anybody that has other questions, like always, um, you can leave them in the Facebook group um, or you can send them to the email. Uh, what is it? Limelightpod at gmail.com. And we will answer those on another episode for you. Um, but I did want to answer some questions that people have been asking um, about Lyme. And one big one is um, when people get the SOT or they're, they're positive for Lyme, what should the protocol be for protecting your significant other? Um, we know that Lyme is sexually transmittable. If you're getting an SOT, does your partner need to get tested? Um, and what are kind of your guidelines that you tell people for that? I'm going to wiggle around with this answer a little bit, so you're going to have to keep me targeted. A little okay. Bit. <laughs> 
Yeah, so let's talk about the science part and then we'll talk about the opinion part. The science part says that um, a few studies done on IgM CDC patients when they collected vaginal fluid or sperm, vaginal fluid was 100% positive. Wow. This is archaea, it's in the syphilis family. Anytime someone can transfer syphilis, you can transfer the spirochetes. They're, in, they're both spirochetes. And the, for men, is found in the sperm about 50% of the time. But if someone wants to know if they have it in that fluid, we do have test kits from a couple of companies where they can do their own swabs or semen analysis, drop it in the mail, and we can know if there's spirochetes in their tissue, in their fluid. Um, if you've had an SOT, if both partners have had an SOT, then we want to give it probably a couple of months before they can resume sex without protection. <clears throat> if one person has had SOT and the other one is negative, then <clears throat> I would still say about the same thing. Three months um, would be safe, but there's not a lot of research in this <clears throat> opinion on IgG positive patients. Right. So an IgG positive may just be a past infection. So it, it doesn't have to have live spirochetes in the, in the fluid or the tissues. So there's some speculation out there. Um, and then I digress to this one opinion. Um, until there's research to say that it's not there, I'm going to act like it is there and IgM or IgG side, and I'm gonna be more careful than not. Um, right. And that's the opinion of it, because um, since syphilis is a spirochete and so is Borrelia, you have to know that it can be found even in dental plaque in your mouth and fluids all over the body. So, you know, general guideline for, you know, if if both partners have done an SOT or if just one has done an SOT and their partner has been tested, first of all, you do recommend that if people, you know, if it's your husband or your, your long-term boyfriend or whatever, that both partners get tested if one is positive, right? Correct. Correct. And Correct. so as long as the second partner is negative or you've both had an SOT, you recommend about three months of protected sex. I think that's safe to say. So, We've only, out of 400 plus SOTs, um, we've only had to do 13 or 14 people twice. Um, the majority of the first patients, maybe six, seven, eight, I don't remember, but it's close like, and these females felt great on their molecules. They felt really good. SOT is working, I feel great. During the, during the decline of the fifth or the sixth month, when the molecules were wearing down, they felt like they got reinfected all over again. Um, and then we test the partners and we had to go back and we do both of them. Oh man, what a bummer. But so we help them. Both get tested. Very important. Um, and then another thing kind of piggybacking on that, that I wanted to address is the, I guess the myth of the 80 day life cycle of the spirochete. Sure. Sure. I have um, put a statement out there in the world and it's taken on quite well. The statement said that a 
Sparky life cycle may live up to 80 days. It's a very long life cycle. Um, even after we die, spirochetes can live for a long time. Um, they, they don't need that oxygen we have. They make their own environment and they can live off a lot of fluid. So a treated spirochete, for example, for an SOT, I really know that we're looking at the spirochetes are debilitated shortly within two weeks, probably six to eight weeks. And then the spirochetes should be shut down at that point. The treatment of the SOT is so vast and so quick that it's able to reach all the tissues very quickly and shut it down. So within, you know, like two months, really, you should be clear of spirochetes. Correct. And that's based on our experience because we see, and I think everybody knows this, we see the first two weeks may have some flares. Mm -hmm. And then after that, we get a little honeymoon period. And then we get into six, eight, nine, ten week mark, and we start to get the immune system shifts. Mm -hmm. So we're making that assumption that spirochetes are gone, immune system wakes back up, has eyes again, and starts to go after the other codes and simple things like Epstein-Barr and other viruses. And then we have that immune system that we need to fight off things, defend ourselves. Natural killer cells come back to life, T cells come back to life, heat shock proteins and cytokines are arising again. And then we see that that phase where we're in our healing phase of the, of the treatment. So you might even experience, you know, now that the cytokine storm is a, a hot topic, um, you know, it sounds like it's almost what's happening in like a smaller version of that when you're, you're getting your immune system turned back on and it's all of a sudden you might feel really bad because your immune system is flooding with all of these things that it was supposed to have there already. Correct, correct. That is why people are experiencing more mast cell reactions after SOT because Borrelia suppresses the Th1, Th2. The Th2 and the Th1 cells are the immune cells that react to things in, uh, inside our body and, and that come into us from the environment. So when Borrelia is sequestered, then we have better Th1, Th2 immune cells and now we start reacting to things things we should have been reacting to before we just didn't have that reaction or like a baby new things are coming in well things are coming in to the immune system they're new so there's an adjustment period with it and we have to manage that by knowing foods um environments with mold that maybe you weren't reacting to basically you didn't have an immune system to react to much of all anything so Everything was causing damage to the cell. Now, post-SOT, we have this new immune system that's looking at the world fresh for the first time, and it's reacting to things. Right. And I've heard, you know, I experienced this, and I've heard some other people say this also. Um, I didn't get sick for like eight or nine years. I didn't get a cold. I haven't had the flu. Um, and I didn't really think much of it, except like, yeah, I haven't been sick in a really long time. But it wasn't that, um, you know, my body was doing a great job not getting sick. I just wasn't having any sort of immune response. Correct. Correct. Someone who says, I never get sick ever. I'm more worried about them than someone who says, I get a cold every now and then and I get the flu every couple of years. Right. 
I want to see an immune system that is reactive to an environment. I want to see an immune system that can protect us. Right. Cool. Awesome. Well, I think um, that was all the questions that I had for us today. Um, this is really cool. I hope this video is awesome. And I hope everybody watching and listening enjoys seeing our little faces. Um, yeah, so we're going to continue doing this. And, you know, I know you're really busy, but I want to assure everyone that we are going to keep doing the podcast as much as we possibly can. Um, we love that you guys like them and we want yes. to. Yes. There, you know. there are a great number of new revelations in the slime world that we have found. And Maddie and I will be talking about those in upcoming episodes. Some really exciting things that everybody should stay tuned for. Cool. So uh, we'll uh, sign off for this one. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you guys on the next one. Bye. Bye. And that concludes another awesome episode of the Limelight Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you are listening to this podcast, we have a little surprise for you um, with this episode. We actually did a recording of or a video recording of Dr. Sloan and I talking about all of these things. So if you would like to watch us talk about it instead of just listen, you can head over to Limelight Pod on YouTube and watch the video of this episode as well. And hopefully in the future, um, we had a great experience recording it today and it was really easy. So we'll be able to continue doing that for future episodes in case you guys want to watch as well as listen. So thank you guys again so much for tuning in and we'll see you on the next one. Have a great day. Stay healthy, stay safe.